We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad! Jose Galison, you're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major Autopodcatchers, Odyssey, and Rumble. Rumble, Rumble, Rumble. Promoting that big time. Uh, this episode won't even be going up on YouTube. I think I might end up putting this up later once my uh, strike period has completely subsided until uh, it's completely gone. Uh, some of the stuff I will, some I won't. Uh, you guys who follow along the channel have been following along on Rumble, like the la episode previous before this is definitely never going on YouTube because that'll probably get nixed immediately. This one I'll put up later because I think we can cover RFK. Uh, I mean, my OKC content stayed up. So, I mean, I think if we can cover RFK uh, and get around the YouTube censors, I, I don't see why we wouldn't be able to do that uh, if we can do the same thing with OKC. So, we'll, we'll try it. Uh, I'll, I'll put these up later, but for now, if you want to be... Cutting Edge, you definitely got to check it out in Rumble and uh, all my other content for about a month or so, and I'll start posting to YouTube again once that strike has gone away. Uh, but some of that stuff will only be on the Rumble channel, so if you want to get it, you got to either do that or do the audio. Uh, today, my guest, I think I just mentioned RFK, is Lisa Pease, who's wrote a book on it. I'll let her introduce herself when I bring her in, but I really wanted to go into the RFK assassination uh, I found it kind of interesting. This one gets overlooked a lot. Uh, and also, we have RFK Jr. that's kind of looking looking uh, to possibly get in the mix in the electoral politics uh, on the left, which is kind of interesting. And we'll talk about that. I do remind you guys how this works. Uh, for my patrons, you get my content early. Typically, occasionally I'll do live streams. But for the most part, the majority of my content is early for you guys. Uh, and that's patreon.com snowyjose2020. Uh, lowest level is two bucks. That's get you the early stuff. Get you about roughly about a week early. Uh, and how that works is I'll put up a, a live stream for patrons, and you also have access. Bill, watch that live stream later uh, for the period of time between when it's private and when it goes public. So if you want to get access to those early co that early content, Patreon.com. No, his a twenty twenty. Highest level is my sponsors, and I read them off every episode. 
My sponsors are Toad, uh, at Tower Gang Toad. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he's my co-host on Tower Gang, which is an offensive comedy podcast. So if you don't like offensive comedy, don't watch that. Uh, but if that's your thing, check it out. Uh, I also have at Abrogate D's, who's my buddy on Twitter. And then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private new music teacher in the New York area. If anyone's looking for a, to hire a guitarist uh, for a gig or just a, a music teacher, uh, he's your guy. Look for him in the New York area. Look up his name. Uh, and with that, let's go ahead and get Lisa in here. Hey, Lisa, how you doing? Hey, hey, Jose. <laughs> good. To, <laughs> uh, that sounds funny. <laughs> uh, good to meet you. Yes, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad to have you. I uh, this just kind of randomly popped in my head. RFK. It's like you know what that merits a deep dig, and the more I dug into it, the more it intrigues me. I'll be completely honest. I started a JFK assassination series, and I never mm-hmm. quite finished it. I need to go back to it. I mean, this may sound bad because I know you you were interested in JFK. I've done you, both. Yes. Yes, uh-huh. you've done both, but JFK just bores me. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I, I know for me, it's like because I follow things that interest me, and that's kind of what uh, I know a lot of times because I've done a lot of work at OKC. I've had some people who'll be like, "Oh, thank you for your work." Well, it's not really work. It's just I'm finding things I'm interested in, and I'll talk about it on my show. I usually read, so it's just people kind of going along with me as like on like passion interests, sort of. Mm-hmm. And for JFK, like. I mean, it's like kind of interesting, but so far as like getting into the story, I don't know. A lot of it's tied up in minutia. It's not as sexy, I guess, almost as RFK, because RFK gets into like MK Ultra stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. there's when I started digging RFK, that's that 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 caught my ear a lot more than JFK. Uh, I I still do intend to. I know a lot of people watching my show are probably gonna be like, "Can you go back and cover JFK?" Uh, I I know I'm, I'm, I want to I will eventually I'm sure the interest will come back around uh, for me and we'll go into it but for now I'm I'm super interested in the RFK stuff uh, and I and I I find it very interesting that we have RFK's son RFK mm-hmm. Jr. running mm-hmm. currently because I mean you think about the track record of people who have disappeared with his name and the just his existence alone, let alone being a, a public, or his existence as a public character, let alone as someone in electoral politics, is kind of a danger to the system. So it is really interesting to see him throwing his hat in the ring. But uh, I guess uh, I'm kind of bloviating right now. I'm kind of just, but I, I want you to tell my audience who you are, what you're about, because I know a lot of them may not be familiar with you. Uh, and you know, and we'll kind of dig into some of those other stuff we were just talking about there, but I kind of want to get, I know, I know, I know of you a little bit. I've dug into some of your work before this. Uh, I I think you, you you did a really good, great presentation. You recommend me check out. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you, but if you could just let my audience know who you are and what you're about. Yeah. So, uh, I have been in politics since 1990s. I'd worked for Jerry Brown when he ran for president in 92 and I saw how bad the media was. I mean, I would go to events and then I would see the reporting of them and it was like night and day. I mean, it just didn't match. So after the campaign ended, I got involved in some media activism and that led me to an interest in the JFK assassination first because I'm like, well, if they're that wrong about everything else, maybe they were wrong about JFK too. And so I started taking a little bit of a I picked up three books at a garage sale. Two were on the JFK case and one was on the RFK case. And all three of them read as fiction to me because I didn't know anything about that history. That didn't map to anything I'd ever been taught about. So I found it really interesting. But it wasn't until I 
you know, it kind of started to sink in a little bit and I got into debates and then I would start to see names crop up in the media. It's like, wait a minute, didn't I read about that guy? Wasn't he tied to like one of these cases? And the more I saw the through line, then I got really interested. So then I, when the internet first went public, yes, I am that old. I was there the day it went public. <laughs> My first internet search ever was JFK assassination. And I found what was then called a Usenet group a discussion group, alt conspiracy JFK, where people were hotly debating, you know, the issues. And at that time, not a lot of files had been released. So it was mostly the stuff released during the Warren Commission. And I had found a set of Warren Commission volumes at a nearby library. And so I jumped into the discussion and I, I, I'm going to start with JFK, but I'm not going to stay there. But I pulled, um, a volume out at random because I didn't know anything about the Warren Commission or how it was organized. And I found Arlen Specter questioning this guy, Dr. Malcolm Perry. And it was clear that Perry had said JFK had an entrance wound in the throat. It was clear because the questions were all designed to get him to reverse that. Well, but if this and if that, and if the bullet was tumbling slow enough and all that, I'm like, why is Specter trying so hard to get him to reverse his statement? Why isn't he just go with what the doctor saw and said. And this became a real pattern. And in the news group, what interested me is the way people would argue on behalf of the government's official story. It's like, who sits in their room for 12 hours a night to buttress the government's version unless they're maybe paid government assets? That, that was my conclusion. And anyway, so in the course of researching JFK, one day I was at the library and I pulled out a drawer of microfilm, but it was next to the one I thought I was getting. And this drawer had all the LAPD files from the RFK assassination. And again, I'd read one book on the case. I knew a little bit about it. And I definitely knew that those files had been sealed till till from 1968 to 1988. So for 20 years, no one had even looked at it. And this was 92. So I, they'd only been open for four years. So I thought, oh, if I look in here, I bet I'll find things that no one else has seen or talked about. And sure enough, the first reel I pulled out talked about a second guy apprehended that night and handcuffed and photographed in handcuffs. And I'm like, what? Who is that? Who is this Michael Wayne character? Why are we always told Sirhan is the only suspect when there is at least one other guy? And in the course of that, you know, I got really sucked in because I just wanted to know. At that time, I had no idea of writing a book or anything. I just wanted to know. I worked nearby. I was super curious. And it was just fascinating because it was primary data, you know, actual witness interviews, a lot of them taken within minutes of the shooting. And, uh, and it was a completely different story. It turned out on police radio, there were at least six different suspects, easily separable, you know, fat, old, young, thin, bald, blonde, you know, light haired, dark haired, you know, swarthy, not swarthy, thin, fat, you know. So uh, the more I study, I'm like, wow, there's a real story here. So that's that was kind of the genesis of my interest in this. Now you fast forward, ha 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 you know, 25 years and suddenly I'm writing a book and I'd started and stopped it over the period of about 10 years. Um, it's a huge commitment because like you, like many others, I was working full time and, you know, it's really hard to, to have a second full-time job and writing a book is like a full-time job. So I ended up doing it nights and weekends and, and the occasional lunch hour. And it's funny because 
where I work in downtown LA, the CIA is in my complex and the FBI and the Secret Service. It's like a little intelligence headquarters there. And one day as I was nearing finishing my book and working out at lunch, I noticed a guy standing near me with like, you know, a cell phone that wasn't a cell phone. And he pulled it away and walked off. And I thought, that guy just stole my whole book. I I can't prove it. You know, I don't know that. But, you know, you've seen the movies and the TV. So I started following him and he just kept walking faster. And I tried to walk faster, but he was tall and leggy and I could not keep up with him. <laughs> but that, that whole complex is, is weird. So uh, anyway, uh, I love to tease people in the elevator because I don't know, you know, which service they work for. But there's like the secret floor when they get off on that floor. <laughs> I try and give them a hard time. Yeah, I'd be relocating <laughs> if I was you. I'm already a little bit schizo, but I live out in the woods, so I'm like, whatever. I'm not oh, too worried man. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, when I was in the middle of all these internet arguments, I did get death threats at one point, and I also got, um, you know, people would call with weird information that never checked out. And in general, I found when people come to me and try and sell me on their version of a story, it's almost always false. If I dig somebody out, they're usually very reluctant to talk, but what they say is usually true. So, you know, for other researchers or would-be researchers, that's my advice. The people who come to you and try and hard sell you a story, it's usually just that. It's a story. It's not facts. And it's, yeah, pretty easy to separate the two. So anyway, here's what I found. So we know the story about... Um, John Kennedy being president and being, you know, killed and all the questions. And like I said, we can save that for another discussion. But yeah, very few people talk about the fact that five years later, his brother, who had been very close to, you know, John and shared a lot of his same dreams and goals for the country and the world, he had become kind of radicalized and became much more of a leftist after his brother was killed, which is kind of interesting because he was a little bit more on the conservative side and more on the pro-counterinsurgency side. They both were very opposed to big-scale wars because they'd both seen it. Bobby got in a little too late in the sense that the war was just ending, so he didn't see any action. But, you know, his brother JFK was almost killed in his PT-109 boat incident, and he actually heroically, you know, swam his battered uh, companions to shore and, you know, made several trips that night rescuing people. It's amazing that he even survived. Um, but anyway, so Bobby is radicalized by this. His first call, by the way, right after JFK was killed, Bobby's first call was to the CIA headquarters. He said, did you guys kill my brother? That's his <laughs> first instinct. And I think it was his best instinct and a correct instinct. And of course, at that point, the Kennedy appointed John McCone, who was a little bit of a family friend, although, you know, not necessarily a great guy. Uh, but he ran out to the Kennedy compound and, you know, talked to him. And this was the Hickory Hill one. And, and uh, no, the CIA didn't, you know, kill. What are you saying? But, but McCone wasn't even looped in on the fact that um, the CIA was trying to kill Castro. They specifically omitted McCone because they didn't know if he'd be on their side. And they, the CIA didn't tell either Kennedy, and that's in the CIA's IG report, the Inspector General report. Anyway, um, so, so Bobby clearly suspects the CIA. Bobby has a history of being an investigator. That's how he got his first job in the Senate, working for his brother, was as an investigator. So he's actually a bit of a good detective. 
and he's following the trail of this. In fact, he actually went to Mexico City to try and find the trail of Oswald and talk to people who might have talked to Oswald there. Of course, a lot of us think that wasn't even Oswald who went to Mexico City a month before JFK was killed. But that's Real how serious on, his interest was. Yeah. On on Bobby, my impression of him is he was a little bit more of a he was probably like a straight laced family man, but like kind of a bulldog at the same time. Uh, that's a like, great, yeah, yeah, that's a great, he was more moralistic, if you will, yeah. and that was very off-putting to the people who were very yes. cavalier which with their I, morals. I, I, which I think plays yeah. into the intrigue of the characters he's work, he's interacting with, like, uh, God, the FBI, God, I'm having a brain fart, and I'm... Uh, Hoover? Hoover. Hoover. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Hoover. It was on the yeah. tip of my tongue. Well, Hoover, Hoover was I, trying to prove yeah. that he was having an affair with Marilyn, but he wasn't. Yeah. And that's the thing. Hoover wanted to hang something like that on him, and he couldn't because Bobby was a pretty straight up standing guy. He wasn't like his brother. You know, he wasn't as wild. And in fact, you know, Bobby like told off a priest one time, like, you know, you're not being priestly enough. <laughs> and his mother was kind of appalled, like, you don't talk like that to a priest. And he's like, well, he's being wrong, you know. It's not what God would have wanted. <laughs> you know? So Bobby was very strong-willed, very passionate person. Uh, he had some run-ins with Richard Helms, who took over the CIA after Alan Dulles was mm -hmm. fired. And uh and Helms said, you know, his steely blue eyes, you know, if he looked at you a certain way, you got a definite feeling of uneasiness. You know, they didn't like him. He didn't like them. None of them trusted each other. Yeah, the uh, Dulles people thing have tried... was a big event because I forget the circumstances around Dulles' firing. But it, it well, was, it was definitely... the Bay of Pigs yes, after the Bay of Pigs failed. And yep. Kennedy knew coming in that Alan Dulles had been there for like eight years and his brother had been Secretary of State. And... He's like, how do you fire a legend? You know, he didn't have any, he didn't feel he had enough clout to fire Dulles at the start of his term. But after the Bay of Pigs failed spectacularly, and by design, by the way, Alan Dulles in coffee stained notes that a researcher found years later, basically said they planned it to fail, hoping to force Kennedy to send in the Marines and do an invasion of Cuba. I mean, how horrific. You know, you don't tell the president you're trying to force his hand. Who's running the government here? You know, the president was not the top person, and I'm not convinced they are today. I, I think, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what Ellen Dulles said of JFK. He's like that little Kennedy. He thought he was a god. It's like, no, he just thought he was president and that he had the final authority. Yeah. I mean, and look that, at yeah. look at modern day. And I, I'll provide two different examples because I'm not entirely sure your politics, but either way, I feel like me and you can agree on this no matter our two politics. You look at Biden, this is two examples, Biden and Trump. Look at Biden and look at how he's clearly kind of an older fella, clearly a little bit losing it, and he's clearly handled, and there's clearly a lot of things he's not getting. It's very clear he's not running things. Same thing went for right. Trump. There were multiple occasions where whether you'd agreed with whatever position he was trying to do or whatever, I know there were multiple military actions he tried to pursue, particularly when he tried to have military parades in D in DC <laughs> like Hitler had done in Germany. Well, he also you know? was trying to at one point pull out troops and they were playing games with him to counteract his will. So I yeah. mean, so ironically, either one of them was fully yeah. in control. Yes, yes exactly. I, I There's always totally agree. And I don't especially think... when you pull at certain strings like the war strings, that's when feet right. get dragged. So, right. And I yeah. think that stems back to partly to JFK's assassination, because 
Democrats got the message. In a five-year period, we lost first JFK, then Malcolm X, then Martin Luther King, and then Bobby. It's like the top four voices of the left in the country were just mowed down uh, all by lone nuts, except for Malcolm X, where there were like two lone nuts, ha ha, you know, and none of them. They were all intelligence hits after, mm. you know, after I started to look into all of them. Um, yeah, we weren't told the full story on them. So of all of them, Bobby kind of showed the most character because he knew now what he was up against. He knew when he ran that he might be killed. But he felt so strongly that, and he also felt some responsibility for getting us into Vietnam because he had originally been sold on the idea of small counterinsurgency, little, you know, Green Beret units doing special ops type things. You know, he thought that might make a difference and he saw quickly it didn't help at all. It was just making everything much worse. And so he was just vehement. He was giving uh, speeches in the Senate saying, we got to pull out of Vietnam. And of course, LBJ, who had taken over after John Kennedy was killed, was very pro-war in Vietnam. And so, you know, Bobby had it's a similar situation to RFK Jr. today. Do I run against a sitting Democratic president and possibly split the support in my party? Or do I ignore my conscience and, you know, and back a guy who's doing things I abhor? And he had to go with his conscience and fight for what he thought was right in both cases, RFK Jr. and, you know, RFK Sr., if you will. Um, it's hard to call him senior when he died in his 40s. You know, he was a young guy when he was killed. Uh, so anyway, so that's a little bit about what Robert Kennedy was up against. In the last year of his life, the CIA considered spying on Robert Kennedy as important as spying on the Soviet Union. And let that sink in. You got one guy and a whole country and you put them on a par with each other. This was reported in the Washington Post. This isn't some like weird researcher saying this. This is like official documents from the CIA that the Washington Post got a hold of showed that level of interest. Why were they so concerned? Well, one, he was Kennedy II in the sense that, again, I, I almost wrote, when I wrote my book, the early version of it was going to be about both assassinations, and I was going to call it Collision Course, because the Kennedys had a very liberal worldview. We make friends with other nations. We don't bully them into submission, whereas the CI view and the establishment view is we bully them and we steal their resources and we push them down and we make sure they never have any power to come back and fight us. And that way we dominate the world. And, you know, so Kennedy is like cooperation. The rest of the world is like domination was the dominant model. And so, you know, one of those worldviews was not going to survive. And Kennedy wanted to break up the CIA and he started to do that. He actually created the Defense Intelligence Agency, which exists to this day, because he wanted to take the cowboy CIA wild operations and put them under strict military chain of command where it's a lot harder to get away with stuff you know you have to answer to people and of course that was anathema to these guys in the cia i mean they loved they they had free money and free reign and they could rape and pillage and, and do whatever they want and steal all in the name of you know america the beautiful and they loved their jobs and they hated the idea of anybody trying to rein them in, especially some president, you know? 
It's like Eisenhower didn't try to rein them in. Of course, I think Eisenhower was more in sync with that worldview too. So um, that's why I find it a little um, befuddling. Eisenhower gave that speech, you know, beware the industrial military industrial complex. It's like, dude, you had eight years to fix that. You know, how dare you say on the way out, oh, by the way, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, what were you doing all that time? <laughs> so anyway, I, yeah, don't get me started on that. But uh, so now Bobby is in the last year of his life and he still hasn't even decided he wants to run for president. He was originally going to run in like 72, but the war is getting worse in Vietnam. There's no sign that anybody's going to pull out. And so he decides to run and he's already missed the first two primaries. And he sees that another Democrat, Eugene McCarthy, is already starting to splinter the party because Eugene McCarthy beats LBJ in New Hampshire. And so then Bobby's like, okay, if there's a fissure already, I'm not the one doing the damage. The problem is already apparent. And so he enters the race. And interestingly enough, LBJ drops out two weeks later. And so for those who say that LBJ killed JFK, I'm like, if he killed JFK, no way does he drop out later. If he killed him and got away with that, no way. He's that power hungry and that power mad. No way does he step down when he has the right for, you know, four more years. So that that line has never made any sense to me. And there's actually no good evidence either. He, he definitely was involved in the cover up, but no, no evidence he killed them. So anyway, so Bobby's running and and he wins some and he actually loses. He's the first Kennedy to lose a race ever when he loses in Oregon. The Oregon primary is like a week before the California primary. And and it was strangely freeing for him because then it was like, okay, they're not just voting for JFK and I'm going to win on my brother's dead body. It's up to me and I'll win or lose on what I say and what I do. And so it actually made him kind of a better candidate and he crisscrossed, you know, California. Poor guy is like traveling 1,200 miles in his final day. He was going between San Francisco and LA and San Diego. And if you don't live in California, it sounds like those are all like what, you know, a couple hours apart. No, it's like, that's like the 12 hours, you know, apart going back and forth in that, in those days, you know, he wasn't traveling by plane. He's traveling by campaign bus, you know, those are long days. So Anyway, he ends up the final day, the victory party is going to be at the Ambassador Hotel right here in downtown Los Angeles. I live about a mile or two from it. And in fact, his old campaign headquarters are just down the street from where I live now. Didn't know that when I moved in. But uh, everybody's expecting a victory, but not cocky because they had just lost, uh, you know, so they're hoping, but they're not sure. And this is the first election that they had electronic voting. They actually counted the votes by computer right across the street at an old IBM building. So we got that little side story going on. Uh, anyway, the night is getting later and later, and it's still not completely clear that he can declare victory. And people are like, we want Bobby, we want Bobby. And finally, about midnight, he you know, feels confident that he can claim victory. And he goes down and he speaks in the, the great ballroom, which is the embassy ballroom. And uh, downstairs, there's another, there's a public party downstairs that anybody could go to. The upstairs party was like invitation only to get into. And people are very well dressed. It, it's not like campaigns today where people show up in, you know, tank tops and jeans. There, it was like campaigns were formal events, you know, where rich people went and the poor were not allowed in. You know, it's, it's better today. It's more inclusive, but it was very different. So 
That's why on the back sta- stairs, one of his campaign volunteers, Sandy Serrano, she's sitting on the fire escape outside where Kennedy's about to be speaking, it, cooling herself off. It's June. It's a hot night, you know, probably humid knowing L.A. And uh, three people walk up past her. There's a girl in a polka dot dress, a guy in a gold shirt, and a kind of scruffy looking guy who she thought looked Mexican, smaller, blue velour zip up shirt. And they, you know, walk past her, step over her, go into the embassy room and disappear. And then she hears Bobby come out and hears him give his speech. And then after his speech is over, and she's heard him give the speech many times, so she felt no need to go in and be a part of that. But afterwards, two of these three come running back out the stairs and running down the stairs. And the girl is saying, we shot him, we shot him. And in a, in like, good job, like, we did it, we did it, woohoo. And, and Sandy's like, who did you shoot? And she said, Senator Kennedy, and kept running. And so Sandy, of course, is appalled. But it turns out after Bobby gave his speech at the Ambassador Hotel, it's a little stage, he went out the back of the stage area. There was a path one way that would lead down to the public party that he could have gone to. And then there was the path through the pantry to the print media. And he had been a journalist himself in his youth. So he always tried to talk to the print media because the TV guys always got their shots. But the print media, you know, were usually ignored in those days. So he always made a point of going to talk to them. And to do that, he had to cross through this very narrow kitchen pantry area. It was a staging area. There's steam tables where, you know, fresh food would be brought out and the huge ice machine and pitchers and things like that. And so Kennedy is coming through there and he's shaking hands with people. And this young, dark-skinned, dark-haired man steps out in front of him. And people who are seeing him right at this moment said it looked like he was reaching across, like he was going to shake Kennedy's hand. But then it's like he kept going and pulled a gun out and started firing right at Kennedy. And he was in front of Kennedy, according to the people who saw them both at the same time. So this is Kennedy. This is, you know, like Sirhan shooting at him. All right. That's what people see. Once Sirhan shoots, and he only fires like two bullets before he's tackled, um, he is pushed, Sirhan is pushed to the table. Robert Kennedy falls to the floor. On the way down, he somehow manages to grab the tie of a guard who had been leading him through the pantry, whose name was Thane Caesar. Super interesting character. We'll come back to in a minute. <laughs> um, and there's a picture of Kennedy lying with his hand outstretched and the tie is right next to his outstretched hand as if he had wrestled it off. There were other witnesses who said it looked like the guard was holding him in place during the shooting. And I think that was Thane Caesar's job. I also think Kennedy was shot under his right arm and that's where the guard was. He was literally holding his right elbow. Who better if he's holding his right elbow to shoot him under the arm than the guard? Kennedy was shot four times, five other people were shot, and then there were holes in the ceiling and the and the door frames. So there were way more bullets than could have come from Sirhan's eight-shot gun. So that's problem number one. They're facing each other, but the autopsy report said Kennedy was shot, you know, from like an inch behind his right ear. Well, you can't shoot somebody from an inch behind their ear if you're in front of them. You know, even if you have a very long arm, even if you lunge, I mean, Sirhan's wrist would have to, you know, go at an oblique angle to make that shot. I mean, try and bend your wrist back that far. It just couldn't 
happened. So Sirhan did not kill Kennedy, provably according to the combination of the witness evidence and the autopsy evidence. But it gets even stranger because um, none of the bullets from any of the victims ended up matching Sirhan's gun. And my contention, and it is a long way getting there, so I don't expect anybody to believe me the first time they hear it, but if you see all my evidence, there's really no better explanation. Sirhan was firing blanks. And interestingly enough, after my book came out, I found out there was a plot to kill Jimmy Carter that involved a guy firing blanks to pull focus while other shooters shot Jimmy Carter. And the problem in that case is that the, the guy shooting blanks wanted to test it and he shot it off too early and the other shooters weren't in place yet. So that guy was captured and arrested. His name was, and you can't make this up, Raymond Lee Harvey, and one of the other shooters was Osvaldo. It's like, whether they got Carter or not almost didn't matter as soon as he heard those. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Names in the press, you know, you got Raymond Lee Harvey Oswaldo, <laughs> you know, Lee Harvey Oswald. It's just right there. And Raymond was the character in the film, The Manchurian Candidate. That's the guy who's like the programmed assassin in that movie. His name is Raymond. So it's just, it's like, this is a template that's been used over and over. And there's a new researcher on the John Lennon assassination who's coming out with a book. And he's arguing the same thing that David, Mark David Chapman was firing, unbeknownst even to Chapman, he thought he was firing bullets and that he killed Lennon. But from his position, from the wounds, from the eyewitness accounts, he had to have been firing blanks and somebody else made the fatal shots. So, you know, even in the Rabin assassination in Israel, there's a similar plot. So I would say to people who say that sounds crazy, it's like, open your mind, look at the evidence, <laughs> because the police knew right away something was terribly wrong. First of all, there's all these people wounded. Second, there's all these bullet holes in the pantry, in the walls and the door frames. I literally found video of two of the bullet holes in the door frame. So you can't say they don't exist. And there was a picture in the AP, you know, that went out that night of two cops pointing at a bullet still in the wood in another door that was directly in line with the pantry. So it's it's an incredible story. And so my the way I approached it was this. Okay, if, you know, if Sirhan was part of a conspiracy, why has he never said anything? You know, well, you know, because he's been in jail now for like 50 years. It, it's definitely more than time. And the problem is he just truly, honestly doesn't remember. So then I thought, well, what can cause memory loss? And obviously brain damage can cause memory loss. So they investigated him, but he had no brain damage. Alcohol can cause memory loss. Um, but not one person. And again, I read all 70 of the witness statements of the people the LAPD said were in the pantry. Not one of them mentioned, because we all have been around drunk people, you know, the bloodshot eyes, the slurred speech, the, the smell, you know, of alcohol and the breath. 
Not one witness gave any of those descriptions about Sirhan, not, not even close. And, you know, the police were in the car with him sitting right next to him, shining a flashlight in his eyes. And they did notice his eyes seemed dilated, but not bloodshot, you know, and a dilated pupil is one of the sure signs of hypnosis. It's one of the few signs you can't fake when somebody is like deeply hypnotized, their eyes can be relaxed. Didn't they, like, didn't he have a blood alcohol content uh, when they when they checked him or, or no well they no they put him in the breathalyzer room but there's no evidence they ever even gave him a test and okay. if you see somebody and there's no evidence of him being drunk why would you test him you know yeah. so reason, or I was under the impression yeah. there was a blood uh, blood alcohol there, or breathalyzer William Pepper thinks there was one of his lawyers has has suggested strongly that there was a test I've never seen any evidence of that so maybe somebody told him there was but I've yeah. never seen any evidence of that and I saw the first press conference that the uh, police chief then gave um blanking on his name anyway because he, he he retired right after this case they all kind of retired got promoted you know got a better gig that guy got his own tv show anyway but uh at the first press conference he's like there's no sign of drugs or alcohol now the drugs i would question because there are hypnotic drugs like scopolamine they're drugs that work to enhance the hypnotic state and also to enhance memory loss because if you're programming somebody to be a patsy in your case, you know, you definitely don't want them remembering you're the hypnotist. They don't want you recognizing anybody else in the room. They don't want you spilling the beans on the plot. So it's like there better be complete memory loss or the plot is a failure. And yeah, in that's Sirhan's why I case, brought up the alcohol. It. That's why I brought the alcohol. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think those are the hypnotic, the hypnot, like the, it's essentially the MK Ultra stuff or and alcohol are mutually exclusive because he could have. He yeah. could have been hammered and been in a hypnotic state, but that like snapped him out. And that's why when he was being interviewed, they didn't show any of the normal signs because he was drunk and in a hypnotic state. Cause if that, I mean, yeah. that could also be an addition. Yes, I, I grew up yeah. with a drunk. And yeah. so it's like, I just can't imagine that not one person would have mentioned something. Yeah. yeah I just and didn't I've know heard that like, yeah, yeah that, but no, not mutually exclusive necessarily. Yeah. And Surian will say that he had four Tom Collinses that yeah. night. I don't believe that either because I'm pretty sure his lawyers told him to say that, okay. you know, that as a way to get him off, that he was drunk out of his mind and didn't know what he was doing. I don't buy it because again, not one person. And, you know, I've had to, I used to do a lot of theater. I, I knew a lot of drunk people. <laughs> it's just really hard to hide it. You know, after a while, it's, yeah. you know, you get really good at spotting it. I just didn't know the degree to which a hypnotic state could snap one out of that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, cause, yeah. I mean, to be honest, when it comes to these hypnotic states, it's hard for me to get a frame of reference of, cause it is one of those That's things why... that like, it's, yeah. it's hard to even comprehend hypnosis. Cause it's just like, well, and you can't like, experience yeah. it yourself. Yeah. Like if you went and got hypnotized, you might even think you hadn't been hypnotized because you most people don't remember when they are hypnotized. I mean, that's very common. That's like stage one. I mean, you don't even have to be that hypnotizable. I've had so many friends who have done that. And I spent like a couple of years going to every show I could that was a hypnosis show in the area because I wanted to understand how it worked. And I got really lucky this one time because I talked to a woman before the show who was then a volunteer in the show. And then I saw her after the show. So I saw her like in three different places and before the show as normal as can be, you know, very 
you know, intelligent, you know, nothing wrong with her at all. Very normal. And then during the show, she was hypnotized to believe she'd won a $35,000 check and got all excited and stuff. And then after the show, I saw her and she looked very distressed. And I went up to her because supposedly by then they'd all been unhypnotized. I mean, that's what the guy says on stage, you know, all right, now go to sleep. Okay, you're not going to remember any of this and wake up, you know, and then they all they all looked normal. They all went back to their family and friends. But at an earlier show in a different hypnotist guy had said, just give them a little space in the next 24 hours. And so I thought, oh, maybe they're still hypnotized. And she was very distressed. And so I thought either she lost her family, maybe she's still hypnotized, you know, whatever. And I went up to her and, and she, you know, I said, what's going on? And she's like, well, I have to give this back. And the hypnotist had already left the area. And she was talking about play money. It was like a hundred dollar from Monopoly game or something. And, and I said, well, it's just play money. I don't think he cares. And, and she looked at me and she goes, no. It's a $35,000 check. And I was a little freaked out, but I thought maybe I can just kind of gently get her out of this. So I'm like, can I hold that with you? Can we pull it a little closer? Do you see this number in the upper right? And she said, it's a $35,000 check and I have to give it back. And other than what she was saying, she looked totally normal. She looked as normal as she had before the show. But what she was saying didn't make any sense because it was not true. And she was clearly in a hypnotic state. And that's the first time I've ever seen somebody in the grip of a hypnotic illusion. She was literally seeing something that wasn't there. And that was my first clue. I thought, what was Sirhan really firing at? Was he even firing at Robert Kennedy or was he firing at something else? And it turned out because there was this hypnotist expert, Dan Brown, who um, wrote books on hypnosis that are used, they're textbooks in schools. He's testified at trials. He's an acknowledged expert. Well, William Pepper got him to sit with Sirhan over a two-year period, 60 hours. And in the past, Sirhan had been interviewed under hypnosis in a very coercive way. Sirhan, do you remember, you know, what happened? Sirhan, you're in the pantry now. Sirhan, Robert Kenny is coming to you. Reach for your gun, Sirhan. This is what his earliest hypnotists were saying, like they were trying to program a memory into him. Dan Brown is very different. What do you see? What do you hear? What's going on? Who's near you? And in that kind of gentle questioning, it turned out that Sirhan followed, as we all expected, this girl in the polka dot dress, he was very, found her very sexy and alluring. He thought he was going to get lucky. You know, she was like a puppy dog. You know, whatever she wanted him to do, he, they did. She put him up on the tray stand, which is like a tray stacker with big metal feet. And that elevated him a little bit because he's a short guy and she wasn't that tall either. And she stood behind him on the tray stand until Bobby came in. And he didn't remember seeing Bobby at any point, even under hypnosis, he didn't remember seeing Bobby, or at least not in the parts of the transcript that have been released. But at one point, the girl looked up and to the right, which would have meant she was communicating with somebody standing on the table who would have had a much higher and deeper view to signal, hey, Bobby's coming, you know, because no one knew exactly when he'd walk in. Sirhan then felt the girl move him to the middle of the room, and then she pinched him a certain way. And then he thought he was back at the shooting range. He'd spent the day at the firing range doing target practice. And he thought he saw targets and he pulled out his gun and he was firing straight ahead at the targets. He did not even see Bobby Kennedy, even under hypnosis, he didn't see him. 
And I wouldn't believe that if I hadn't seen this woman in the grip of a hypnotic illusion. And I saw how real that was and how I could not shake her from that. And the only th way that Sirhan had even any memory is that he was almost choked to death in the pantry. People were literally trying to kill him. And there was a brief moment where it's like he kind of came out of the hypnosis and he's like, oh, my God, did I, you know, people are, you know, I have a gun and people are lying down. Did I shoot somebody? And then he was kind of back in the hypnosis for several more hours before he really came out of it. And, you know, he, for an analogy, there was a case in Korea, North Korea, where the half-brother of the ruler, Kim Jong-un, his half-brother, was at the airport, and these women played a TV stunt. They'd been playing this on various people, and one sprayed somebody with water, and the other ran up with a towel and toweled them off. And ha ha ha, isn't that funny? Except that his towel had a VX nerve agent on it that killed him within a couple hours. And the woman who had used that towel, went in, washed her hands, showed up the next day ready to do the stunt again. No idea that she had killed him. How guilty is she? Wasn't she tricked into assassinating him without her knowledge? I would argue it's exactly the same for Sirhan. He was programmed to fire at targets on command, put in a position where it looked like he was firing at Kennedy. He's firing blanks had no you know, animosity toward anybody. Now, of course, that's not the official story at all. That's what I've uncovered, and that's what Dan Brown has uncovered. The official story is Sirhan was so mad at Kennedy for you know, approving bombers to Israel that he just decided to take matters into his own hands. And to support that, there was like a little article in his pocket. But even Sirhan, when he was like being told this, that, you know, he's like, well, why did I do that? Why, why didn't I go to the track that day? Why would I want to kill him? He's like, I thought Bobby was a saint. You know, he actually said that in the trial on the transcript. You know, the first time he saw him, he thought he was a saint. Why would he want to kill a saint? You know, because he saw him as somebody who was trying to help both sides. And uh, so it's a, it's a dark and difficult story. And in my book, I really build slowly to that because, you know, in, when the only reason I don't like to do shows like this, even though I really appreciate you having me on, but if I just say things, people will either agree or disagree, but they won't have learned anything. You don't learn until you go read and you look at the facts for yourself. Otherwise, it's just my opinion versus everyone else. But when you look at all the facts behind my opinion, you'll understand that's what really happened, that I'm not making any of this up. The bullets were switched. The police knew right away they had a problem. And when one criminalist started to look into the evidence, he goes, these bullets don't even match each other. You know, not even worried about whether they matched, you know, Sirhan's gun. They didn't even match each other. So there were at least two people firing. So it was at least a conspiracy. And other people are like, well, there's too many bullets. It's at least a conspiracy. And if it's a conspiracy, why isn't Sirhan acknowledging that and revealing the other conspirators? It only makes sense when you realize he was a hypnotic pawn who really didn't have anything to do with this. And that's when I started to care about Sirhan because <laughs> I didn't at first. I just wanted to know what happened. And I didn't even want to talk to his family or his brother because I didn't want to be sympathetic. You know, I didn't want to be persuaded by something he might tell me about how much he loved his brothers. I didn't want to turn all softy mushy and try and help him, even if he had killed him. I really wanted to know what happened. But once I figured that out, then I called 
you know, I'm like, oh my God, your brother's really innocent. <laughs> this is crazy. And we've got to get him out of jail. And, you know, we still have the power to do that. If people listening to this broadcast, go look at the facts, go get my book. You can get it on audio or uh, Kindle or um, certainly hardcover. Um, it's called A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. And it couldn't be more relevant now because his son is running. And his son has made statements in support of Israel that have pissed off a lot of people supporting Palestine. It's like I almost can see, you know, the, the plot being created in the background as we speak. So I'm deeply concerned for him. And, and I'm a friend of his. I mean, you know, it's funny. The other day he said something stupid about abortion. And I texted him and he like literally picked up the phone as soon as he got my text and called me back. He's like, no, no, my campaign, we corrected that right away. That's not what I meant or said, you know. So, uh, and he is misrepresented a lot, but he does misspeak sometimes too. And as somebody, I hate to tell you, but when you get older, that happens. That happens to a lot of us. So uh, don't don't judge Biden or you know him or Trump too harshly on that point alone because they will misspeak. It's a given at a certain age. Oh yeah, yeah, people are fallible. Really, it's just better to try to yeah. understand what they meant to say as opposed to what they did say. Because too yeah. often people look at what someone says and they they immediately look to what do I want them to have said here? <laughs> exactly. And how can I spin yeah. it to my advantage? And yeah, yeah. Mm. So. And, and Bobby, I would say he's he's a very honest guy. It's like he will not lie. He will make mistakes, but he will not lie. So when somebody said, why did Bobby lie when he did? I'm like, then I know you're a propagandist. It's like, go away. You know, go away, troll. <laughs> yeah. Whenever people start to use that kind of language, unless you know the person, you shouldn't, you know, accuse them of lying. But like I said, I can accuse the police of lying because I know what they knew. I, I see their documents and I see them like changing course as they go through the, the log during the day and bullets, all the bullets were kept on these sheets marked confidential because they knew there were too many bullets and they knew they couldn't have more than eight at the end of the day. So they kept and hid any extra evidence and just pretended it didn't exist, even though it was there in their records. And then of course they just kept the records sealed for 20 years and they tried to seal them forever, but that didn't work. You know, <laughs> Paul Schrade, one of the shooting victims, teamed up with, oddly enough, CBS, which has always been the CIA's closest ally in the media. <laughs> so I think the CIA was kind of wanted to reinforce the cover-up. So they wanted to get the files out so they could see what they needed to cover up. And of course, Paul Schrade just wanted to know what happened. So, but the two of them ended up forcing these files to light you know, that helped me with my research. So, yeah, I find, yeah. <laughs> I find RFK Jr. to be, I mean, I'm not a political guy. I mean, I'm political in a sense. I'm actually, but I, I mean this, I'm like, I'm a typically a, I don't even vote type guy. I'm a, I'm a right wing anarchist, but I am a kind of person who <laughs> loves people like RFK. Cause while I, I disagree with him on a ton, I'm sure I can list off, of, but the things that he's great on are the things that I think are the most important things. And one of which is the deep state, but it's in, and it, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm curious your take on this because as I alluded to earlier, so many people have died around him. There's very, his very, him existing as a public character is already dangerous, let alone him being an electoral figure. Now he's coming along and, and this isn't even someone who's shying away from the, the, the stories about his dad or, 
or anything like along those lines. Like, well, again, like JFK. his father. Yeah. Like his father, he knows what he's up against. He knows yeah. he probably will be shot at at some point. You know, I mean, he is well aware of that. And he's talked to his family about that. And they're, you know, he didn't want to do it when his kids were younger because people wanted him to run much earlier. And he's like, no, not until everybody's out and on their own and safe, basically. And, you know, if his wife wasn't into it, he wasn't going to do it. But she she was ready emotionally and everybody was ready. So that's why he's running now. And and it's funny because I ran across an article I wrote, I think it was in 2006. And it was, I had a blog, I still have it. It's the realhistoryarchives.blogspot.com. And people can go and if you search for, uh, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., You'll find I actually wrote like a little prayer for him because even then he was like rocking the boat. He was talking about the stolen election in Ohio in 2004 because there was really good evidence that Bush stole the election and the guy who was trying to expose it died in a plane crash. You know, it's like there's just too many small plane crashes of important people. Paul Wellstone, you know, one of the last Democratic holdouts not wanting to go to war in Iraq, goes down in a small plane crash. You know, it's really easy to tamper with something on a plane and, and make so it There's so many crash. plane crashes with these sorts of exactly. events. Exactly. <laughs> Ted Kennedy had I can name down. off one now, too. Yeah, Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. So he has reason to be afraid. And I literally just saw a video of him today of Robert Kennedy Jr., talking about how somebody broke into his house. I've been in his house and, and got to the second floor. And before somebody found him and stopped him, I'm like, that is so scary. You know, second floor is where he sleeps. That's his bedroom. You know, it's like, wow, how did somebody get in and get that far? And why doesn't he have better security? And of course, why isn't Biden's team giving Bobby protection because honestly, if anything happens, I'm holding Biden personally responsible at this point. You know, there's no reason not to. Obama got protection this early because he'd had death threats this early. And he had even, you know, lower name recognition than Kennedy did at this point in the campaign. So there's a precedent, you know, there's definitely history on the Kennedy side of Kennedy's being killed running for office, especially with the name Robert F. Kennedy. And it's, it's just unconscionable. And I also want to go back to what you said before, which is totally true, that a lot of these people don't run their own administration. You know, I really liked whoever ran the Biden administration the first two years, but he's gone. <laughs> and now there's somebody else. And that's when the Ukraine war started picking up. The infrastructure bill I liked that got passed. There was a lot of good stuff in that bill. Don't like the Ukraine war. Um, I don't know. Yeah. in Trump's side, I have no idea, but, but Bobby is surrounded by a lot of really good people, really smart people. People have been very successful in the world and people who share his values, you know, which is how do I want to say it is more uh, libertarian than I am, you know, and like you say, I definitely don't agree with him on everything, but I, believe he will always use good judgment and i also know he is fact-based he will not make a decision out of emotion you know like i don't know i forget there was something that happened to trump and he like wanted to bomb somebody like in retaliation for some terrible comment they made i'm like dude grow up you know <laughs> it's like i don't want an emotional you know roller coaster president i want somebody fact-based and i was able to talk bobby out of something that he believed because i had the facts in line and so it's like, I know that can be done. And that's the kind of person I want in the White House. And 
you know, like I said, you know, Biden's team, you know, Trump's team, who knows who they would have the next time around. But I trust Bobby. I know him personally. He is a sweet man. I got sick early on during COVID and he just flew into like savior mode. He's like, oh my God, I want you to see my doctor and go get this and get this medicine and this and this and get these vitamins. And he was just all over my health. And I thought he, and he barely knew me at that point. You know, I'd help him, helped him a little bit with his book, American Values, which he wrote before the Fauci book that came out. And, and, uh, but he saw me as somebody useful and valuable and nice and alone and who needed help. And I just, what a great guy, right? So how could I not love a guy like that? But uh, anyway, it's, these are dark times. I've never seen us so close to total fascism and in, a, in ways from both the left and the right. You know, it's not, uh, I, I draw politics as kind of a circle with like total fascism at the bottom and anarchy and libertarianism at the top. And of course, I'm like somewhere on the left side of that circle and some people are on the right side of that circle. But I think that's why left and right, we find places where we connect, you know, vertically, horizontally, diagonally, in the same hemisphere, in the same quarter, you know, it's not just black and white. And I, I really do cry binary thinking that you're either a Democrat or Republican and nothing else counts. And, you know, you either are for the Ukraine war or against it. You know, it's like, I'm not for war, but I'm not against the people of Ukraine either. You know, it's like, they're the pawns in all this. I want the bloodshed to end. I want the yeah. war to end. And, uh, you know, I, however that needs to happen is what needs to happen. I don't want, you know, Putin removed from office. It's like, that's not my end goal. You know, I, I just want the war to stop. Yeah. I think uh, you brought up the binary thinking and unfortunately there is truth to the binary thinking when it comes to this left, right thing. And I actually, that's one of the reasons why I like RFK Jr. existing in this race because I do think he exists in this place to where it kind of gives the permit uh, gives the left permission to be good. Because I don't know particularly. It's been a while since there's been a candidate. I mean, I guess you could say Tulsi kind of was a little bit like she was good. I mean, but even then, like I, I don't know. I don't think she was as strong as as yeah, RFK. Well, Tulsi and, and Bernie were like anti-war yeah. candidates, yeah. and Howard Dean and his time and yeah. even jerry brown you know it's like i've never supported the mainstream democratic candidate except for obama because i really didn't want hillary <laughs> yeah but so. you know but a lot of people forget obama ran as a piece as a piece uh, candidate so he did <laughs> yeah. which is something yeah. to be to be mindful of when you see people who do come up uh you know to me I'm, I'm of the opinion that looks like it's probably pretty likely he was mostly essentially a created person. I don't mean that completely made up. I just mean he kind of was like pushed through a lot of the edge. He was groomed from an early state. Well, very articulate man, very nice man, easy to like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this is why uh, people are rightfully um, cautious when they see individuals from particularly uh, families of power that come up mm -hmm. and say all the right thing. I, I think our, you know, it'd be, I mean, especially the the aspect of his father being likely killed by the CIA and his uncle, uh, I I think it comes across as genuine because you'd have to be pretty psychopathic to for it to not be genuine at this point. Right, right. <laughs> He's not psychopathic, no. And he deeply he cares about the world and people. I mean, he spent most of his life in public service, and that's what their their whole family was about. That and and. Uh, 
you know, yeah, there was a wild side that definitely came from his mother's side of the family more than his father's. He he wrote about that in his book. By the way, if people want to read like an actual true history of the Kennedy family, read Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s book, American Values, because he lived it. So there are no false stories there. Those That's the truth about that family. So many stories you read about the Kennedys are all made up and there's always money in a Kennedy story, you know, especially if it's salacious and they sell and so people just fictionalize like crap and a lot of that isn't true and he's able to rebut some of that stuff with facts in his book so recommend it yeah well i, I appreciate your time uh you mentioned earlier that you typically don't like doing shows like this but this is why i like doing deep dives because this is like kind of this intermediate yes. to where we're gonna we're gonna go through we're gonna provide arguments because i can understand if someone watched just this episode and was like, okay, well, she just said that, and they're not going to take any time to look into it. But we're going to go a little bit further in here the whole time throughout reminding you there are other resources, whether it be your book or other things, other places you can look at to back this up, hell, even if it's just a quick Google search. And then over time, you notice that uh, Lisa, hopefully, throughout this, is making a very good case, and then you go, huh, holy shit, they did, the CIA did kill uh, RFK. And, and that's how we get you there, and then hopefully from there you do start reading uh, you know, a lot of these big books, but it is like a, it's kind of nudging people that way slowly, but surely. But yeah, I totally get it when you just do like an hour and you only cover the basics. Cause I mean, there were multiple things throughout here that I was like considered, you know, asking a question, but I was like, you know what, let's just get to the basics for this episode and we can dig into some of exactly. those. Exactly. So, uh, plenty of deep dives to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mind so control we'll, bullets. We'll, we'll be back <laughs> soon. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the mind control talk because uh, I mean I've uh, I mean you're probably not as familiar with my content, but I've I've dug into a lot of, a lot of a lot of stuff. Seems to always the further back you dig, the 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 more it starts scratching the surface of MK Ultra with a lot of different conspiracies. You're like, oh, yes, well, fun. a lot of the mass shooters. I swear, <laughs> yeah. some of those are. And and yeah. you mentioned OKC. Did you have yeah. Wendy painting on or not? Because I have just not had her on, but her book. oh, her book's yeah. great. I'm like. Uh, probably like three two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through it it's phenomenal yeah. yes yeah I've, yeah uh, i've covered okay see the same thing i've probably covered the most and most of it is like a lot of the information i received secondhand from her before i even read it because i was getting it like kind of circular sources kind of deal uh through right. people who had read it and then also other sources that she referenced so uh, now i'm finally reading it's a great book uh it's, it's a good place for you to start so yeah i've good, covered that good. there's there's some mk ultra stuff there too Yes, there is. Uh, Jolly West, yes, who was here in Los Angeles and yeah, yeah, curious yeah. that they didn't ask him to join Sirhan's legal defense team, you know? So anyway, we could talk about that another time. <laughs> he was already hanging around with the prosecution of the JFK too much. So. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I, I read his interview of Jack Ruby, but it, it almost, the way he does it, and I don't know if he's being honest, but... Yeah. He makes it sound like Ruby was hypnotized before he even got to him, which could be true. And maybe that's why they sent him in to see if he could figure that out. But then I'd wonder, well, who programmed him before Jolly West got to him, you know? Well, that's the whole start of MK Ultra. is I forget the specific skirmish. I want to say it was one of the Korean uh, type things. Uh, when they started digging yeah, into Yeah, it was the Ultra. Korean War. Yes, yeah, it was, yes. Because people were coming back and... They were they were the thing claiming is, they were that, telling the truth. Yes, exactly. I mean, they were claiming the they were hypnotized. We, we yeah. started this whole mind control thing to stop people from telling the truth about yeah. what really happened. <laughs> yeah, no, we're like they start 
weapons into into <laughs> North Korea, which was a war crime yep. and totally illegal. And so they claimed they'd been mind controlled instead. And then they're like, and now that we've said that, let's start our own mind control program. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty crazy. They cr literally created the the, uh, the whole MK Ultra thing seeded out of a lie. Uh, yeah, they, they, yeah. They, literally, they benefited uh, both sides. They're like, well, now we're going to do a crazy, crazy, uh, you know, fed op for decades that spawns off into other sorts of research projects. And we get to not, you know, admit that there were, we were we were doing committing war crimes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Somebody told me after he read my mind control chapter, he's like, Lisa, that gave me the creeps, you know, yeah. the, think that they can do that kind of stuff. It's really it's shocking and scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. Even mild stuff can be creepy and scary. Yes. Yes. That's why the implication of RFK is terrifying. And and it sounds like he was probably one of the lighter ends because it seems like it was probably just standard hypnosis. Whereas like they in when you dig it deep in MKUltra, they were very interested in essentially creating entirely split personalities through trauma. Yeah, I talk about that. Yep, <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. Yep. In fact, I, honestly, I think that might have been the case with Lee Harvey Oswald when he mm. went to the Soviet Union. You know, they might have split his personality, the pro-communist and the, you know, pro-America. Although his best friend in Russia said he was always defending the Western way of life, you know. So maybe not, but yeah. Well, it, it's been a pleasure having you. We'll, uh, I'll get with you after this. We'll schedule another one sometime soon. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, be it your book, any socials, anything like that to the people before I let you go? Uh, I'd say, you know, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at, at Lisa Pees. I'm easy to find. And there's a pinned tweet with the video that I did on C-SPAN, C-SPAN's American History. And that's a good introduction. If you have friends who don't believe any of this stuff, have them watch that first. And that'll open the discussion <laughs> and then you can move along and yeah, we'll cover some more of the facts. Cause yeah, it's not, this isn't opinion. There's a lot of actual data here. Yeah. Yep. And this was the tower gang show. Uh, I forgot to let you guys know uh, you can get my merch at toplobster.com. You can get the Terrence Yeeke didn't kill himself shirts. So I wore in Tim cast the Terrence Yeeke didn't kill him. Did I say Yeeke already? Uh, Kenneth trying to do and Terrence Yeeke, those two ones, both those shirts, those are both available up there. Uh, you, you go to toplobs.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Follow me on Twitter at Tower Gang Jose. Uh, de definitely go check out the Rumble channel. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And that we are out.